I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing some more Arsenal-related transfer reports. This is the first of two episodes that we're going to be dropping you on this Friday, building up to, of course, the bank holiday weekend, King's Coronation uh, here in London. That is taking place tomorrow, I think. And there will be, of course, celebrations over the weekend, which makes it a unique weekend if you're based in and around London, particularly if you're thinking about going into central London, maybe uh, check out the plans uh, for that. But um, yeah, as I say, we're going to be dropping you two episodes today. This is the first. Wanted to do a transfer specific piece based on one of the stories that began doing the rounds uh, quite late on in the day yesterday and has since uh, been picked up by a number of outlets. And then on top of that, uh, we're, of course, going to bring you our usual preview show where we'll be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to St. James's Park on Sunday. Very, very difficult game that for Mikel Arteta's side against a side that are looking to secure Champions League football. You think we've been out, out of it for a long time. Check out Newcastle. They are closing in on Champions League football once again. And what a moment that would be. And you feel like it could be a real liftoff point for the project up in the northeast. But anyway, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about that game in a lot more detail later on. What I'm here to do now is to talk about some of the latest transfer news. So uh, there was a story going around yesterday that has picked up traction between then and now that a lot of people have picked up. Um, and that is with regards to Real Sociedad's Martin Zubimendi. Now, he's a player that we were linked with back in January. Now, it was said that Arsenal had a real strong interest in Zubimendi, made an approach, wanted to sign the player because his release clause, I think, is around about 50 million euros, if I'm not mistaken. It's there or thereabouts. And um, it looked like Arsenal were going to try and do that deal in January to bolster their midfield options. But it was also said around about that time that Zubimendi himself had decided, actually, I want to stay at Real Sociedad and I want to finish up this season uh, with my current employers. He wasn't keen on making the move at that point. That didn't mean that he would never be keen on the move. That didn't mean that Arsenal wouldn't retain their interest in the player. But just at that point in time, Martin Zubimendi was not keen on a move from La Liga to the Premier League. And I guess I can understand why. You know, he's at a point in his career where he is really developing at a rapid pace. He has become one of Real Sociedad's most important players, most exciting players, most sought-after players. Real Sociedad uh, are having a, a very good season, I would say, in Spain. If I just bring up the La Liga table, I'll tell you exactly um, how they're getting on. But I know they're obviously uh, in the hunt for Champions League football. It looks as though they're going to get Champions League football because they are seven points ahead of Villarreal in fifth, who, uh, of course, uh, are on the chase. But there is only five games to go in in La Liga. So, yeah, um, you know, you could understand why he didn't want to leave San Sebastian, why he didn't want to leave his club, why he wants to be there and continue to help them in their quest for Champions League football this season. And as I say, when you're feeling good about where you are, when you're in a, a good run of form, you know, sometimes making a move at the wrong time can derail you and can be a problem. I mean, I can't imagine had Zubamendi joined Arsenal at that point that he'd have been a regular starter. 
You know, who would he displace? Would you take out Granit Xhaka? I don't think Mikel Arteta would have done that. Would you have taken out Thomas Partey up until the last couple of weeks? Absolutely not. He'd have been one of the first names on the team sheet. Does he replace Martin Erdegaard? No, he doesn't. So you can understand why Zubimendi might have looked at the situation and gone, well... I'm 24 years old. I'm not really in a massive rush or hurry. I do have a release clause, which means that if I do want to move away to a bigger club later on and whatever club it is that are looking at me and, and want me, I'm sure they'll be willing to meet that release clause because it is a reasonable one. It's not one of those astronomical batshit crazy ones that people look at and go, well, no, you can stay where you are. So Zubamendi would have looked at the situation, as I say, and, and felt that at that point, at that time, it was best for him to stay at Real Sociedad. And in a way, I respect that because I think it shows his maturity. And, you know, he's 24 years old, which is not young really anymore in footballing terms, but it certainly means that he's got plenty more to offer and plenty more to give and he can still get better and better and better. So he's at no, you know, he's by no means at his peak. But I think at 24 years old, to be able to resist the lure of a massive Premier League club who are certainly going to pay you way more money than you're getting at Real Sociedad in order to stay at the club that you love, at the club that you you belong, the club that you've come through at, um, you know, and, and want to just continue playing football in the vein that you're doing and, and help them achieve the goal that you set out to at the start of the season, which would have been to get into Europe and Real Sociedad are on the cusp, as I say, of achieving that. I mentioned it. He's come through the Real Sociedad ranks in the youth team, under-19s, uh, played for the C team, the B team, um, and then, of course, uh, sort of moved across in September 2020 to the sort of A team, to the main team, to the first team, and has never really looked back since. If you look at Zubimendi's uh, record this season, um, you know, he's someone that plays very, very regularly. He's been in the starting eleven in 91% of their La Liga fixtures this season. Just the one goal and a couple of assists, but he wouldn't be coming to Arsenal for his goal-scoring prowess necessarily. Four appearances in the Europa League as well this season. Um, so he is someone that, you know, has got plenty of experience, has played plenty of football. And if I just take it on that little bit further and go into that little bit more depth around uh, sort of what he's achieved since breaking into the first team. So if we do... Uh, all seasons and we do Real Sociedad A-team, if we sort of break it down here, bear with me a second, you're talking about someone uh, that's made a total of 108 La Liga appearances at the age of 24, uh, 36 of them coming in the 21-22 uh, season, 31 so far this season out of their 33 games. And back in 2021, he made 31 appearances then as well. So he's been in the setup, he's been in the team, he's been in the picture for quite some time. And he's playing at a good club, a strong club, you know, uh, a side that are, um, you know, very, very uh, well respected around Europe. And he is one of the shining stars in that. So you can understand why Arsenal are looking at this guy. But what is it specifically about Martin Zubimendi that I think Mikel Arteta likes? Well, I've had a look at him. Um, I've sort of watched quite a bit of him over the course of the last probably six months or so. Uh, started to keep a close eye on him when we were initially linked to Martin Zubimendi. Uh, caught a few games in which he was playing, watched them um, in full 
sort of really focused on him as an individual, have watched highlights of games as well, and have always wanted to keep across how his progression is going since those links came about, because I always felt like this was one that we would at some point revisit. And if you're to believe the reports that we're talking about here today, then it is something that Arsenal are still looking to do. Now, before I talk about what exactly I like about Zubimendi. I know I'm kind of jumping from point to point here, but before I talk about what I like about Zubimendi, let me just give you a lot, a little bit of context as to how this story's come about again and in what form uh, it has come to the table again. So there was a report linking uh, a number of players, central midfield players to Barcelona. Now, this wasn't a specific report with relation to Zubimendi. This was a report about Barcelona, about some of the business that they're looking to do this summer, which happened to mention Zubimendi and ruled him out as a target for Barcelona because, I quote, he is close to agreeing a deal to go to Emirates Stadium. Now, the release clause is there. It's simple, around about 50 to 55 million euros, as I told you before. There wouldn't need to be any negotiation of that uh, because... Um, because that's how it goes in Spain, right? You go to La Liga, you trigger the release clause. We learned it when we signed Thomas Partey and and that's it. Then it's just down to you to sort of sit with the player and come to some sort of agreement over personal terms. And uh, and so we know that that shouldn't be an issue. Do Arsenal value this guy at 50 to 55 million euros? Well, they've held a long-standing interest in him. So you'd assume that they do. 24 years old, as we've already mentioned, plenty of experience. Um so while this was not a Zubimendi is going to Arsenal report, it was one that has kind of, there was a couple of lines in it that have been taken uh, by aggregators and turned into a much bigger story than maybe it is. But it does clearly say in this report that Barcelona have given up hope of signing Zubimendi because they understand and believe that he is close to accepting an offer from Arsenal. So kind of bodes well for us. What is it then that I think Mikel Arteta likes about him? Well, he is technically, if you want to put him into a bracket, he is a defensive midfield player. That's what he is is labelled as. That's what he predominantly does. He sits in the heart of a midfield. Um, and as well as being a really, really good progressor of the ball, uh, really, really technically gifted, uh, as well as being uh, somebody sort of renowned for his vision, he is somebody that wins the ball back quite a bit as well. And if you type in Martin Zubimendi sort of compilation highlights reels, I know a lot of people like to do that when Arsenal are looking at a player, you will see a lot of instances, probably more instances of him winning the ball back from opponents than you'll see of him, for example, playing blockbuster passes. So I think he's got a good all-round game. I think he's someone that could bring a lot to the table. I think he's someone that would bring a whole variety and host of qualities. And when Mikel Arteta and Edu want someone, you kind of have to take it uh, sort of or assume that that player has the right attitude, has the right personality, because we know that when they go out and look at players, that's a big thing that they focus on. And so for their interest to be as serious as we believe it is in Martin Zubimendi, because as I say, this is something that's come up before. It's not going away. And according to reports in Spain, there is an expectation that he will end up at an Arsenal player this summer. So attitude wise, I'm not even going to go down that route right now. I don't know the guy. I never will know the guy. So for me, it's that's on, you know, the recruitment people to, to make that call and make that judgment. And based on the players they've signed in recent years, I trust them. 
So really good ball winner, not necessarily because he's a massive brute physically, because he's not. He's not that at all. If you look at Martin Zubamendi's uh, profile, he's 180 centimetres, um, isn't particularly well built, isn't particularly um, sort of intimidating to the eye. He isn't any of those things. But what he seems to be able to do is is read things really, really well. He seems to be able to understand or anticipate what opponents are going to do, whether that be passes and then making sure that he's in the right lane to be able to cut those out and win the ball back. Or at times we've seen him um, we've seen him sort of go into a challenge with an opponent, not look like he's really up to much, but just being able to just poke the ball away from someone, you know, flick it away from someone and then come away with it. Brilliant on the turn. Um, on the half turn, especially, I've seen a lot of clips of him doing that and doing that with relative ease. But where I said to some of you guys in the chat that were here early waiting for the stream to start, I had a few reservations. My reservations are around the physical side of the game. And one of the things that I keep saying has happened since we got that humbling up at Manchester City is I've been thinking a lot about what the next steps are. Manchester City are the benchmark. How do you get there? How do you close the gap on them? What do you need to do? And I've been trying to formulate in my head what I think Arsenal really need to focus on and what Arsenal really need to be doing when it comes to that. And I think we need more power. I really, really do. I look at that midfield that Manchester City have. I look at the fact that, you know, Rodri is not just an incredible technician and a really clever, intelligent footballer, but he is an absolute powerhouse as well. Thomas Partey can be a powerhouse when he when he's in great form, but his form has tailed, you know, in recent weeks. There's no denying that. I think that Granit Xhaka brings us a physical presence way more than Fabio Vieira, for example, if he's to play in that left eight position. And I thought that was a problem for us. I'd argue Emil Smith-Rowe is, is better built for that than Fabio Vieira, but people suggesting that he can be a number eight moving forward, I'd say the same thing to them about him. But I don't know that he'd bring us enough power. Martin Odegaard, incredibly hard worker in midfield, presses aggressively, all of those things. But does he have natural power? No, but I think we've got the right balance at the moment. But the minute you take away one of those layers, be it a Xhaka, an informed parte, or a Martin Odegaard, you upset the balance. And when we've tried to put Fabio Vieira in there, I think that's really upset the balance because physically he's not on the same level and he's not in the same league as the players that we've been talking about and mentioning. So if I have concerns over Fabio Vieira's physicality and therefore his ability to play in that area, I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I didn't have those same concerns um, about, about Zubimendi. Technically, no question whatsoever. Looks fantastic. Physically, not so sure. And also add to that the fact that the tempo in La Liga is that bit slower, that you're not going to get pressed as aggressively in La Liga as you do in the Premier League nowadays. I think that this is one of those where I like the player on the surface of it, but I worry about how his form would translate from that league into this one. And I think if you look at the best signings that Arsenal have made, in the last sort of 18 to 24 months under Mikel Arteta, under Edu's stewardship, the signings that have really propelled us up to this next level, I would make the argument that the majority of them and the ones that have been incredibly successful have been ones from the Premier League where we didn't have any questions about those particular aspects and elements of their game. So I, I'm not saying I would... I, I certainly don't want Zubimendi ahead of Rice 
or ahead of Caicedo or anything like that. Um, but clearly this is a player that Arsenal like. And whilst I'm not saying this is a done deal or anywhere near close to it, I am saying that this is a name that I expect us to be continuously linked with throughout the duration of the upcoming transfer window. I really, really do. Um, a, a, an alternative to him for me would be somebody uh, like uh, Ugarte at Sporting who played against us at Emirates Stadium and I thought was an absolute unit. Um, Uruguayan, 22 years old, um, you know, a real powerhouse in midfield. Not much bigger sort of in terms of height than uh, than Zubimendi, but he was someone that for me uh, really did put himself about and I thought he, he had a great game. And you could see why, um, you know, you could see why why uh, Sporting were going on about him being out for such a, uh, a long time. And sorry, why Sporting was so disappointed that he wasn't available for the first leg because when he came back into the side for the second leg, you saw what he brought to the team. Uh, Sko says, Harry, adding to that point, the ones from outside the Prem that have been the best other than Odegaard are Partey, Gabriel, Saliba, i.e. the physical ones. Yeah, but, and and I get that and I agree with that. And, you know, those players have come from other leagues and have, have been able to live up to the physical level that we've needed, but they were physical players in their own right anyway. And that's what probably made them stand out. Um you know, in their respective leagues. So, for example, Thomas Partey, you know, not only renowned for his physical ability during his time in Spain, but that was obviously a big thing. William Saliba's always been a tall, powerful centre-half. Same with Gabriel. So those are physical players by nature. Therefore, the worry about them adapting to the Premier League and having the tools to cope with the demands of the Premier League is less for me than it is when you come to someone like Zubimendi, Fabio Vieira, you know, I had that concern about Martin Odegaard, but he's proved me wrong. Uh, fair play to him. But it's just a reservation in my mind. And um, and and I agree with, there was a comment earlier on, I think it was from Robert, where was it? Uh, he said, we need oven ready. That's what he needs to be. No more Fabios, as in no more Fabio Vieiras. And I agree with that. Like, it's good to invest in some players that you have high hopes for, that you believe are going to go on to that next level. You invest smart. You either sell them on for big profit later on and continue to fund your project, or they go on to be great players. You need to do a bit of that as well, but you need to find the balance. And right now, I think we need to improve the group. We need to improve the squad. We need to improve the depth, particularly with Champions League football returning to the carpet next season. And so we need players that we can trust to compete in both of those major competitions for us. Um, and Zubimendi, on the ball, I have no concerns about, no doubts about. But off of it, and in terms of the physical stuff, I would be a little bit worried, I have to say. Uh, going to take a very, very short pause on uh, this one, and then we're going to be back um, quick message from our sponsor, and we're going to talk more. We're going to talk Emil Smith Rowe. What has Mikel Arteta got up his sleeve when it comes to Emil Smith Rowe? We talked about it briefly on yesterday's show, but Kaya Kainak of Football.London seems to think that Mikel Arteta does have a plan for Emil Smith Rowe. We're going to also be talking about the Croatian centre half that Arsenal are rumoured to be linked with. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. 
producing a balanced budget, not just for football. And saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And don't forget this podcast is brought to you by the good people over at NordVPN. We thank them for their very, very kind sponsorship of the program. Uh, sign up to NordVPN for access to their virtual private network service uh, where you can protect yourself if you're a public Wi-Fi user in particular, then do check it out because it adds that extra layer of protection. Um, and we know how big cybercrime is these days, unfortunately. Uh, also, you'll be able to access streams, content, uh, videos, uh, services, subscriptions, all sorts of things that aren't available in whichever territory it is that you are based. What you can do with NordVPN is change your virtual private network location meaning that the internet will think you're elsewhere. So you can stream things that are blocked in your region. I do that all the time. I change my uh, location to Greece or Cyprus, and I'm able to watch the Greek TV that I want to watch. Um, mainly football, bit of music as well. Not the best football, granted, but sometimes I get FOMO and I feel like I'm missing out on whatever's going on. So I do want to check out games from time to time. And NordVPN allows me to do that. It also allows me to sign into Netflix from a US location, meaning I can watch different programs you get access to a totally different inventory which is amazing and on top of that when i'm looking for flights when i'm on the go when i'm traveling around uh, i can look from the destination that i'm going to because very often you'll find they can be cheaper so uh, nordvpn allows you to do all of those wonderful wonderful things and it only costs the price of a cup of coffee per month now to check out the service to sign up and get your huge discount as well as four additional months for free all you need to do is go to nordvpn.com forward slash chronicles AFC. The link is in the description below. And uh, and as I say, you'll get that mega discount as well as four additional months on your plan. If you don't like it, if you're not happy with it, if you're not making the most of it, if you don't feel it is what it says it is, which I can assure you it is. But if you feel that way, uh, then you do get uh, 30 days uh, to cancel your subscription with a money back guarantee. I'm telling you, it is worth it. And we thank NordVPN for their kind sponsorship of the program. There we go. Back to the football chat. Um, lots of questions, uh, lots of comments, I beg your pardon, uh, coming through um, during the uh, during the last uh, few uh, moments while we were doing <laughs> the ad read. Uh, hold on. This comment's got me a little bit. One second. Um, is that a Starbucks coffee or an independent barista coffee there, Harry, uh, on the price of um, the NordVPN thing? It's probably a Starbucks coffee, um, but I don't know about you. I'm, I'm a sucker for a Starbucks coffee. I reckon I'd save a lot of money if I stopped buying coffee from the likes of Starbucks and Costa and all of those places. Um, but it is what it is when you're on the go and you need a coffee. Sometimes you need a boost. Um, that's just how it is these days. Eh? I, when I was a kid, nobody ever went and bought coffees from those types of places. I find it strange that it's become such a big part of our culture now. When I was a kid, if you told someone, let's go for a, or let's have a coffee, they'd come around your house. Or you'd go around theirs, but hey, times have changed. Anyway, um, don't forget as well, uh, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really, really does help me uh, in terms of getting the videos out there to a wider audience. Subscribe to the channel as well if your brand's spanking you. Lots and lots of comment 
uh, content comment content coming your way between now and the end of the season and throughout the summer as well. I'm only going to take a week's break um, a little bit later on in the summer because I'm going to go away um, with the family. So I'm going to try and stay away from football. Um, well, I'll be watching football, but I'm going to try and stay away from the whole content thing. Uh, for a few days, spend some time with the kids and the wife, you know, keep her happy and all that. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, let's get back to the football chat. So Emil Smith-Rowe, what's the deal um, with Emil Smith-Rowe? Because I talked yesterday about whether he has a future at Arsenal, what the future looks like for Emil Smith-Rowe, whether we might get to a point where we just have to accept that he isn't a part of the plans anymore. And in which case it might be worth considering an offer if one was to come in. And I mentioned yesterday about the the um, the interest that we know that Aston Villa had in the past. With Unai Emery coming in, does that interest increase because he knows him and he's worked with him before? Or does that interest decrease? That remains to be seen. We don't really know what Aston Villa's plans look like. Um, Aston Villa, incidentally, being linked with Kieran Tierney as well, by the way. So that's, um, that's one to keep a close eye on. But according to Kaya Kainak, good friend, uh, over at football.london, he says uh, that Emil Smith Rowe has been training or has been or is being taught Granite Xhaka's role, so the left eight role. So, although I'm not sure that Emil Smith Rowe is going to be a success in that position, that's just my personal opinion at the moment. It seems like the club believe that that is the way he will progress, that is the way he will move forward, and that is the way he can fit into the plan. Now, whether he's going to be happy with that, accepting of that, etc., I don't know. Um, but it's understood that that is what Mikel Arteta has in mind, and that is what is going on on the training ground. There is a, an effort and a, a sort of um, a willingness and a plan in place to try and get Emil Smithrow up to speed in that kind of role. Uh, so as one of the eights. Now, we're going to have to keep a close eye on that. That remains to be seen. Uh, but yeah, that's um, that's what we're hearing. That's what we're being told. Uh, also, a couple of other bits as well. Uh, Arsenal being linked with a Croatian uh, central defender. Give me a second. Um, let me bring his name up because it keeps escaping me. It is um, Josip Sutalo. Uh, currently plays this football at Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, don't know an awful lot about this guy. I have to be honest. I, I'd look into him, obviously, in a lot more detail if I thought that this was progressing and this was something that, you know, could be a goer. So watch this space on that one. But Simon Collings over at Standard Sport um, says that Arsenal are tracking him as they target a new centre-back this summer. Uh, Dinamo Zagreb are likely to demand around about £18 million for the Croatian. And while no formal talks have taken place um, between the two clubs, yet Arsenal are indeed scouting him. So that's an interesting one and one to keep an eye on. The other one I wanted to um, to uh, just reference before we take a few questions and then sail off into the sunset to prepare for the preview show later on today was a piece from Miguel Delaney um, in The Independent. Now, Miguel Delaney claims that Arsenal will have a budget of over £150 million going into this summer through club funds and, of course, what they expect to generate from sales. Now, we talked yesterday about what the budget might be, and I told you I don't have a Scooby. And although this gives us a ballpark figure, it does say over £150 million. How far over? Is it £151 million or is it £200 million? The, the truth is, I don't think anybody really knows. I think what you're going to see is, Arsenal scour the market 
assess their options, try and work out what the best deals are for them, what they can and can't do, and then make decisions on that basis as to whether or not it's worth investing money without having really a specific figure. Now, there'll be a, a, a ceiling in terms of what they can afford to spend, but they're never going to make that public, I don't think. And I never think clubs want this kind of information out into the open and uh, and out into the ether, because what that does is it means, you know, for example, if you're trying to buy from someone and they know you've got a ton of money to spend and you're trying to drive a hard bargain, the likelihood of them accepting that is going to be less. So I don't think that we'll ever know for sure, but interesting that Mikel Delaney's put out a sort of ballpark figure there. The other thing he says as well is that Arsenal have seen a much higher level of potential signings express interest in the last few months with executives stating what a contrast it is now to even just two years ago. He says they now have representatives of players in the highest bracket coming to them. Goes back to what we were saying yesterday. Arsenal have a huge pull. Arsenal are a side that people will want to join. And that is because we are sitting right towards the top of the Premier League. We're back in the Champions League. We've clearly got money to spend. We pay players competitive salaries. We're based in London, which is in many people's eyes, one of the greatest cities in the world. There is a lot of reasons to want to come and play for Arsenal Football Club, but you have a bad season next season and all of a sudden that appeal uh, diminishes and diminishes quite significantly and quite quickly. So what you have to do as Arsenal Football Club is you have to make this summer count, I believe. If you want to stay up at the top and be competitive with Manchester City and whoever else makes a charge for it next season, for not just next season, but for beyond that as well, then you need to strike while the iron's hot. I really, really do believe that. And I think the club understand that. I think the Cronkies understand that. We heard uh, a little bit from Julian Laurence on uh, the Premier League's channel the other day. And he said something along the lines of when he was discussing the, the Mikhailo Mudrik thing, that actually KSE were quite happy to put up the money for, for Mikhailo Mudrik if Edu and Arteta felt that that was the right thing to do. But it was actually Edu and Arteta and this is obviously Julian Laurence's information that kind of put the brakes on it and went, nah, we've got a structure here and we need to respect that. So that's really interesting to know as well, because I'm not to say, not to say I was angry with the club for not doing that deal. I thought it was a ridiculous amount of money to pay. And I think that Chelsea are finding that out right now. I'm not wanting to kill Mikhailo Mudrik because I think he is a talented player. I just don't think he's in the right environment. And I think he's going to struggle in that environment unless they bring in a manager who really values him and is really going to work on bringing the best out of him. But what I'm saying is that it's interesting that at the time when we were going, well, look, the club are missing out on transfer targets because they're not willing to go that extra mile. It wasn't anything to do with the ownership and the people ultimately signing the checks. It was to do with um, our sort of our sporting arm, the people that are in charge of making the sporting decisions. They didn't feel that it was worth breaking the structure that significantly and that dramatically in order to get this player, they felt that there was a, a limit with regards to what they should spend, what they should pay for him. I think even the offer that we heard they made was probably above that. Um, and sometimes, as I keep saying, you have to go that extra mile and you have to go that little bit further. But yeah, I think actually that that pleases me to hear that, if indeed uh, that is, of course, true. Uh, Going to take a couple of your questions before I sign out. Remember, we'll be back later on today as well. Um, live on this very channel with the uh, Newcastle versus Arsenal preview. We'll be looking ahead to that game in a lot of depth. Um, for now, we're just talking transfers 
Uh, we're just talking uh, rumors uh, and we're talking summer transfer budgets. But anyway, leave a like on the video because there's a couple of hundred of you with me right now. Just 62 likes on the board, which isn't anywhere near where we want to be. Let's get that up to at least um, 100. I don't know why it's gone so dark all of a sudden. It was sunny a few minutes ago um, and darkness has descended upon us. Anyway, uh, let's take a couple of questions. So um, hold on a second. I'm just starring a couple. Uh, that I can get to. There was one from Matt as well. Here we go. So Matt says, what do you make of Aston Villa trying to bring in the Barcelona sporting director? They could be a powerhouse in the next couple of years. It's really interesting, isn't it? Well, I think Villa over the last couple of seasons have shown quite a bit of ambition in terms of the money they've spent. I think their owners have have put that across quite well. Um, look, we got Raul Sanley in and, and it didn't really work, did it? I mean, you look at, what it looks like on paper, you know, Aston Villa secure someone who's been at Barcelona, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody gets excited about something like that. But for me, it's, um, is that thunder outside? Jesus. Um, but for me, sometimes you can get, sorry, I'll get sidetracked for me. Sometimes you can get carried away by stuff like that because it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. Villa have spent money and it hasn't really worked. They've brought Unai Emery in and he's improved things. But I always say that Unai Emery is one of those managers who's much more effective punching upwards than punching downwards. And I think if you start overloading him with players that maybe he doesn't want, like maybe like we did, uh, then I, I don't think you get the best out of Unai Emery. So I think they've still got to tread a balance and find uh, that right balance. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, shows that Aston Villa have lofty ambitions. But I always thought that about them anyway, because of the the money they've sort of been willing to spend in recent years, regardless of whether that's bought success or not. Sko says, I'm not saying this is what I want. I'm just saying it might be smart, given City's resources and squad. Maybe we should go for the Champions League next season over the league. I'm 100% sure it's easier to win. Thoughts? Yeah, I believe that the Champions League is easier to win than the Premier League as well, because it is a cup competition. And, you know, you... You can have a few great nights. You can catch people on an off night and, you know, you can you can progress. I know people will say there's less margin for error in a cup competition, and I agree with that to a degree, but you can have the luck of the draw. There's a lot of things that make a cup competition, in my opinion, easier to win than a 38-game Premier League season. Now, I think there are other leagues where, obviously, the Champions League is the more difficult. But in terms of the Premier League, I really do believe it is harder to win um, and to to keep those levels of consistency over the course of you know thirty eight games than it is to win Europe's premier competition at least in name and in status and on paper. But is it the most tough competition? No, it's not. The Premier League certainly is. Um, I'm not sure I would prioritize that. I think we want to be in a place where we're prioritizing both those competitions. I know people are going to say next season, well, look, we have to take the cups more seriously than we did this time around. I honestly couldn't care less about the domestic cups when we're in the Champions League. The the three things I'd want us to focus on are A, the Premier League, B, the Champions League, and C, making sure we're in the Champions League for the following season. Um, Wes Bird says, are you concerned that the summer transfer budget available to Arteta will not be enough for him to implement the next phase of this transformation and progression to the next level? Um, no, I think it will be enough as long as it's spent in the right way. And as long as it's spent smartly, I think, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, transfers and signings, and we're going to do a lot of that over the course of the summer. I think sometimes you can bring players in 
for smart amounts of money maybe don't think they're going to go on and be successful and then they are and that's why we're not managers or scouts or sporting directors i mean martin odegaard's a prime example of that look at what a difference he's made 30 odd million pounds you know gabriel was reasonably priced william saliba too albeit he went out on loan for a couple of seasons zinchenko that wasn't wild money but look at the difference that made gabriel jesus the same so i think if you spend smartly uh, which you need to do when you're arsenal um and you don't have the state back in, for example, that Manchester City do. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's, it's enough money. It's just got about making sure we spend it in the right way. Uh, Halo Mateus says Zubimendi is valued at 40 million euros and the contract is to two is to 2027. That would easily cost above 50 million. Uh, to me, Manuel Ugarte is a better option. Same position and valued at just 25 million euros, just 22 years old. More value question. Um, I mentioned Ugarte earlier on because I really like him and I think he's someone that Arsenal should probably look at. Probably still a bit more raw, though, um, than Zubimendi. Probably not as good on the ball as Zubimendi, um, but certainly physically he would be someone I'd be more confident in in terms of being able to come into the Premier League and really get up to speed quickly. So in that sense, I agree with you. Um, but how much are Sporting going to want for Ugarte? Because Sporting notoriously sell well as the Benfica, as the all the Portuguese clubs, really. They've done a fantastic job in recent years of sort of bringing players in from South America, coaching them, taking them up to that next level, showing them on the European stage and then cashing in big time for them. So although you're going by, I think, the transfermark.com values, because I, I think I looked at those earlier and they were very similar. So I'm assuming there may be, but I think that those valuations only give you an idea but Ugarte to sporting is very important and they will know that he's going to get bigger and better and stronger and they'll factor that into their price point I'm sure so no guarantee that you get Ugarte for less than Zubimendi's release clause is what I'm trying to say because without having a release clause which Ugarte to my knowledge doesn't have that allows sporting to go bigger and bigger and bigger with the price, and that can be problematic. Uh, Hardly says, Hardly Vries says, Harry, already you're not instilling confidence because Arsenal is always looking for a cheap deal with the budget. No, I'm not saying that you should be actively looking for cheap players, cheap fixes, cheap solutions. What I'm saying is someone can be the right player without them necessarily being the highest priced player is the point I'm trying to make. And recent examples, particularly at Arsenal Football Club, have proven that to us. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, guys, I'm going to leave it there because uh, um, I'm going to be jumping uh, on shortly on TalkSport 2 uh, for the social show. Um, so join us on that a little bit later on. I think it's from about three o'clock. Come and join us for that. But uh, also got some prep to do ahead of our Newcastle versus Arsenal preview coming up a little bit later on. Join me again live for that one. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Leave a like on this video. It really, really does help. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Thank you so much. I'll see you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.